Welcome to another beautiful edition of the Balluminati podcast, proudly presented by Homefield Apparel. I am joined alongside me, as always, Seth Farnador and Robert Stieg. I am your host, Nathan Bond. Uh, before we get kicked off here, Homefield Apparel, guys, again, just beautiful sponsors, comfortable shirts, comfortable apparel. Uh, they just wrapped up their season three, I believe, of Big New Saturday as they release. New schools, new apparel every single Saturday. Uh, again, site-wide folks, first-time buyers, 15% off your entire order site-wide with the promo code Daily Stampede. Again, that's for first-time buyers. Use the promo code Daily Stampede for 15% off your entire order site-wide. Look at it. Look at those beautiful, beautiful shirts. It's so fun. I, so I was at... Um, I was at the baseball game on Friday night, Friday night. And it's like, so, I mean, I'm sure people are either tuning in or they'll listen eventually. Like, I mean, we've got a an okay uh, to mediocre to kind of bad reach um, across the USF landscape. Right. But it's so cool seeing, you know, people who I absolutely know have no idea who we are like rocking these shirts. And it just, I don't know, it warms my heart a little bit to see that, uh, you know, the, the outside of, you know, our little bubble that they're at the, the larger USF, you know, fandom at large really like these shirts and, and uh, you know, enjoyed them enough for for Homefield and USF to put something together to, to have this. So I'm glad it's, you know, having a further reach than, uh, you know, we could probably ever, ever hope and dream of. I, you know, there's still a lot of market share that we want to take. I'll be perfectly honest. We want to take over. So that's that's the plan. But let's let's jump into it. Uh, we, we got a busy, 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 busy show ahead. Seth's on his floor. He just he was just anticipating, you know, falling out of his chair when we talk about men's basketball and softball and baseball. Like he just he just wanted to fully prepare himself uh, that he would just he didn't want to uh, you know go into comatose and shock and bump his head no. when we talk about Georgina Corrick's uh, scoreless streak. Is um, that fair? I'm cosplaying as uh, both Corrick's ERA and the men's basketball team's three point shooting percentage. Ooh, that is a timely joke. That is good. Holy crap! Okay, that's fair. That's that's a that's fair. That's fair. Um, let's jump into it. Let's start with men's basketball. Um, you know, got to get the bat out of the way first. So, you know, season wraps up. They win eight games. Uh, they lose in the first round of the AAC tournament to Central Florida. Uh, competitive game, but again, they, they lose. Uh, they can't shoot. Uh, they are statistically the worst shooting team in the country this year from the field and from behind the arc. And then uh, reports uh, come out. Yesterday, I think uh, Tuesday, Monday. There's some some trickling in of uh, reports that you know Rick Pitino and Frank Martin are you know candidates that boosters want. Uh, Tom Krasnecki, uh from six twenty WDAE ninety five point three WDAE. Uh, you know. It's, Spoke to some booster sources who say, yeah, those are the guys that they want. Uh, he kind of doubled down on it on Wednesday uh, morning. 
uh, saying, you know, Rick Pitino would absolutely take the USF job and uh, it just waiting to be asked. And uh, I've uh, intimated as much and or outright said, yeah, I've heard those names too. And, uh, you know, the next question I ask is, okay, how are you buying out Brian Gregory's contract? And then I get silence from those folks that I talk to because there's not enough money as it stands currently at 914 on Wednesday, March 16th, 2022 to just buy out Brian Gregory's seven figure contract. There's just, there's just, there's no money to do it. They've got other priorities. They can't just sink um, X, X figure. Uh, It's more than, it's more than one million and it's less than seven that sounds about right to to give a to give a a safe range here folks um there's just there's no money and we we've i've said it before and i'll say it again this contract was basically agreed to in principle in june of 2020 they waited because of the pandemic it was officially signed in october of 2021 and hindsight looks terrible i get why they did it in 2020 coming off the cbi championship i get it uh the i was told back then that the buyout was fairly large to show a commitment from the university and now we've just kind of got to sit in it is really what it comes down to um Steve, you're a man of the people. You're you have the voice of the fans. You have the ears of the fans. Um, doesn't seem like this news this week has uh, been taken too kindly, especially as uh, various other college basketball coaches are being uh, let go left and right. Right. Maybe, maybe including a head coach who is currently playing in the NIT or was, I guess, was in the NIT with a winning record as Xavier. Yeah. I um I think and and going off of Connor's uh, question there, um I think people are kind of confusing the the timeline and, and what exactly has happened over the course of you know really only three years. But the the this new news about Rick Pitino and Frank Martin and everything like that that's not that's not from the Michael Kelly well of knowledge. That's from the boosters that are around the men's basketball program. So they're the ones that are saying. Hey, we should hire Rick Pitino. Hey, we should hire Frank Martin. Hey, you know, Rick, Rick Pitino would come here in a heartbeat. That's that's where that news is coming from. Michael Kelly is kind of obviously he's not going to say anything. I'm sure, uh, you know, in, in the in the grand scheme of things, you know, coming off of an eight win season, of course, your athletic director is going to say, "All right, let's weigh my options here. Let's look at what we can do. We can retain him. We can fire him. He goes through the options in his head." So I'm sure at some point in in the massive brain that Michael Kelly has, he has looked at firing uh, Brian Gregory. And then what he does is he, he goes into his wallet, he takes it out and he, and he looks and he, he unfolds it and moths start flying out of it and cobwebs. And then there's a picture of the, the indoor practice facility uh, right next to the on-campus stadium. And then you realize, oh shit, we don't really have the money for it. So I, I believe our friend, uh, friend of the blog, Mark uh, kind of, you know, said it very bluntly if if these boosters really do want change and these fans really do want change, it's really unfortunate, but we're at the point in the program right now that someone's going to have to cut the check for it. Cause it's not going to come from, from in-house uh, you know, there's, there's nothing for cause that would, you know, negate a buyout 
uh, like that right now. So, you know, I, I think when that news from uh, another side dropped that Brian Gregory, Gregory was going to be retained, I think that that was a little tongue in cheek, kind of, um, kind of fluffing up the the sources that you could possibly have inside the mid basketball program. I don't think that there was any substantial sourcing to Brian Gregory actually being retained other than it was pretty obvious that it was going to happen. Um, and then I, I think this, this Tom Kraz uh, situation with Rick Pitino and Frank Martin, again, I, I think it's just someone trying to fluff up some sources and, and, you know, make it sound a little bit better than it is and, you know, probably get a few good interactions and clicks out of it. And then, um, you know, we're probably, I would say going to definitely have Brian Gregory as a head coach next year. I, I have a couple of questions for you guys. As somebody that's not super involved in shocking say on the basketball side of things. Um, I think I asked one of you in the past couple of weeks, if you had to be bad at men's basketball for one more year or get the on-campus stadium a year sooner, let's say, I know those two things aren't necessarily tied, but if that was the case, which would you pick and which do you think most fans would pick? Depends on what type of year it is. I think if you ask a fan, another year like you basically repeat last year in men's basketball, but you get the on-campus football stadium a year sooner, or you get rid of Gregory and you get the on-campus stadium a year later. If you ask people in October, they'll say the on-campus stadium. If you ask them in February, they'll say they they want Brian Gregory fired. I mean, it's me personally put up with another year of it. Get that on-campus stadium built. Where an overnight turnaround in men's basketball is not going to happen it, with with a new coach with <laughs> Brian Gregory. It doesn't matter. It, it's not. They're not going to miraculously win 18 games next year, no matter who's the head coach. Right, mm-hmm. and plain and simple, like Coach Cal. And Coach K and Roy Williams could come out of retirement. Like they could form like a triple headed monster to coach USF and they're not winning 15 games next year. Like it just, it doesn't matter. This, there's so much wrong with the infrastructure of just men's basketball in general at USF over the last 30 plus years. Uh, a coaching change now isn't going to fix magically fix it. It hasn't fixed it literally any single time we've tried it. Um, we've kind of tried to rip it down to the studs, build it back up. And we saw some success and then COVID and then the, uh, the racially charged slash racist remarks from Tom Heron, uh, Flat out racist remarks from Tom Heron derailed this program. Uh, and you can see that there was a lot of talent on this program, seeing as there are four players now in the NCAA tournament at various other schools. So, like, Brian Gregory was building it, and then it just fell off a cliff. Uh, you know, you, you get to the CBI tournament, uh, Alex Shetna gets hurt, and then COVID happens. And then the Heron incident happens. And now you're back to ground zero and you're in year six going, well, look what I did three years ago. And then look at all these extenuating circumstances. So like, I get, I get why Michael Kelly extended Brian Gregory because they were on the right path. And then a worldwide pandemic happened. And then you have racist comments from an assistant coach that also helped derail the program. But, 
in five years, the team still can't shoot to save their life. There are still the same issues wrong in year one that there are in year five with completely different players. Is it, it could be, that's just the caliber of kid that you're able to recruit and that's it. You're going to, you're going to get, you know, kind of athletic guys, but they can't shoot. They can't make free throws. They can't hit a three pointer to save their life. That just may be what you're stuck with in perpetuity because you're a, a mid-major, but you're a bad mid-major. So let's say Patino was a real option. I know this is very hypothetical and it's very, uh, you know, we have no idea if it's possible, but based on the, uh, what was said today that people are claiming for Patino, how do you, would you guys feel about Rick Patino as the head coach? And do you think he can make this team take a big jump? Not necessarily in year one, but pretty quickly. Cause he's kind of done that everywhere. Nate, I'll let you take that one first. <laughs> you're, you're too kind. So there's, it's twofold, right? It's very layered. Uh, Rick Patino on the court, very good coach, very good recruiter. Uh, he will bring money to the program. He will bring money to the university because he's he's Rick Patino. He's won national championships. He's done he's done it at the highest level that you possibly can in college basketball. Now on the flip side, uh, paying players uh, under the table when it was not allowed, while you know it's fixed now, you can basically pay players. Um, that's all well and good. Uh, paying sex workers to have sex with recruits. That's where it gets a little iffy. And that's where the ethical question lies. Where uh, does USF want to handle that? Because they're so, they're very, very good at handling PR nightmares and PR flack, do you really want to bring that into the equation? Like, no one cares at Iona. It's Iona, right? They're in New York, I think. Pennsylvania? Westchester, I thought? Sure. Northeast. That's the point. No one knows where it is. Okay? But you get a, a pretty major metropolitan university who is you know, at the forefront of, uh, on the precipice of becoming an AAU school eventually and all of these things, do you really want that kind of baggage coming to the university who has uh, not done a great job in the, in two respects to sexual assault and all of the other things that may happen on a college campus? That's where it kind of gets into a little, Gray area. Uh, Steve, you know, I was pretty tongue in cheek uh, last night uh, in, in Slack uh, just to kind of poke the bear a little bit and, and, and rally you up. Um, you know, I may have called you ageist and, uh, you know, sex work <laughs> is sex work is technically work. Um, yes. Now, now but- what did, what were the penalties for that? Uh, for for Patina? <laughs> they had a forfeit their national championship. Yeah, they, yeah, the the well, 2013 that, national did, title did got vacated. Did it, did it come down to him though, or was it other actors? Uh, lack of institutional control. Okay. Did he have a show cause or anything? I think he resigned out of. Like I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure he some, resigned he out of. Some, uh, out of it. some personal issues as well. Yeah. Well, he he also had a well he had a reported well, affair that got. 
Those came and went pretty quickly from what I heard. So yeah, 15 seconds. Um, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I'm big. I'm big anti uh, Rick Pitino. I, I absolutely. I, I, Colin and I were going back and forth on it. I've seen people go back and forth on it in, on Twitter all day as well. I, I just think uh, some schools they're able to get away with dancing with the devil. You you could absolutely do that at Louisville and be fine. Like three years later, like they're they're sure they're not a, a fantastic basketball program, you know, as much they are about to hire, I think Kenny Payne or something like that. But like there, there are schools that can survive a, a massive scandal like that. And for USF, who two coaches ago, we had a, a, you know, academic scandal and then we left players at the airport and were humiliated. And then we go and hire uh, a head coach from Manhattan and it turns out, Oh shit, this guy didn't graduate from Kentucky. Uh, he's not academically qualified and we apparently aren't, you know, smart enough to be able to do the background checks or something. Uh, so we had that embarrassing moment. And then we have Tom Harry and, uh, you know, racial incidents. So, I mean, for, for some people, you know, you want to hit for the cycle. Yeah. Go, go ahead and hire the guy that once, you know, paid a bunch of strippers to have sex with recruits to ensure that they would come to university. You'll, you'll have a great time here in Tampa where, you know, Dale Mabry is only a 15 minute drive away. So if that's your MO, if, if you're that cash strapped to just want it to happen, fork over the money for it. Like I, I personally would actively root against USF men's basketball for the next couple of years. If that were to happen until some change were to happen. I, I really, really, really do not like the idea of us hiring Rick Pitino. And it just, it pains me to see us being associated with just an absolute scumbag human being. It doesn't matter what he does on the court. He could come here and win a national championship. I wouldn't give a fuck. I would, I would ask money back from USF men's basketball at that point. Yeah. And, uh, I completely understand where you're coming from and it's not in USF's history or quite frankly, DNA to be, to be able to handle uh, a, a coach of that questionable ethical compass. Um, it hasn't worked in the past. They've been burned in the past. USF's not very good at cheating is what we're trying to get at here, folks. Um, when they do try to cheat, they get caught every single time without fail. Our so, compliance team's really good though. That's that's what I'm hearing from that actually is our compliance department just best in the country. It's I mean they're just really bad at it and I wouldn't trust the university as a whole to be able to handle that. Now Frank Martin it is an interesting case, right? He was very successful. I think he was at Kansas, Kansas State State. before he took the South Carolina job. If I'm not, he was very successful there. Uh, had a final four run at South Carolina, I believe in 2016, 2017. And then has been up and down since then. I get it. It could be a retread higher. Um, He'd been there for a while and just could never quite get it right. Um, I will say him and Jose Fernandez go back quite a while uh, on Sunday, on Sunday during the uh, women's uh, tournament uh, festivities, watch party uh, in the interview. He mentioned, you know, because they're going up to uh, Columbia, South Carolina, I'm going to have to reach out to Frank for some good, uh, you know, restaurants to 
to go to. Um, so there is a bit of a connection there going back to their days down in Miami. That just doesn't excite me either. It, uh, well, another factor is allegedly he's got, uh, he was about to have, I think a 2024 kid. It's one of the, like a top 10 player was about to commit to South Carolina before he got fired. Mm-hmm. That uh, has a really good relationship with him. So there's another little sweetener for Frank. Mar- but with him, I mean, Patino, from my perspective, I'm just kind of a casual observer, but um, obviously all the personal baggage is that's what you have to get by with him. But on the court, he's been successful everywhere he's been. Frank Martin is not quite the same. I think he's a much better human being. And if you hear him talk, he's really, really good. And he's he, um, as a coach, I know a lot of football coaches will listen to like him. <laughs> Uh, speak on leadership and coaching modern players and things like that. And I've gotten a lot of really good stuff from him, but he hasn't been super successful as of late either. So is that just because the SEC has gotten a lot better at basketball? Maybe, but you know, the, the, the issue there is you're not guaranteed. I think Patino off the court, you got a lot of bad stuff, probably a lot of issues there on the court. You're probably going to be successful because he's been successful everywhere. Frank Martin, it's kind of the opposite. You're going to have a great guy off the court. I don't know if you're going to get success. And you really, I don't think you really can't fire somebody and pay a big buyout and then go hire somebody that's not going to be successful. Right. That that would, I mean, that's a, you kind of <laughs> screw yourself twice. So that's, that's the, that's, that's the objective. Right. Fire the bad guy, hire the good guy. Yeah. So if you, if you fire the guy that's bad and then you hire a guy that's maybe been inconsistent the last few years and you're not sure if he's going to be good or bad, then what's the point? Right. Um, Nate, do we want to bring up a third name? Uh, no, not yet. Okay. And pretend you guys didn't hear anything. Um, <laughs> but there is a third name floating out there that I've heard rumblings about just not quite ready yet and it's tough it's tough for me to speculate about a coaching vacancy that is not vacant yeah that's like brian gregory is still still the head coach of the south florida bulls like uh, until until there is a time where we get a release saying otherwise you kind of have to assume assume it. And frankly, in this coaching market, I don't know if you want to be in this coaching cycle. It feels like there's some pretty good openings. Uh, like you're not going to get the cream of the crop. I mean, you weren't going to get the cream of the crop anyway, but even then. Like LSU, and, Xavier, Georgia, Florida. No, Florida. Georgia hired Florida. Georgia, coach. Yeah. But like you have four SEC schools open, you have Xavier open. And then potentially like, from those, you'll have some really good mid majors possibly open after those get filled. So from what I've read, it doesn't, it seems like last year was the year to be in the market for a new coach. You had a lot of really good guys available. A lot of guys that hadn't been extended this year. A lot of the guys I know at the Florida level, um, a lot of the guys that would be targets signed with places last year or got extended recently. So they're not going to be in the market. So I've heard this year's not the best crop in terms of going after a new coach. So maybe you hold out a year. And if you got, if it doesn't turn around, you can get back in the next year at a cheaper price. So 
Yeah. And, you know, every year that he stays, you know, the buyout goes down. So it's 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 a really tough position um, and it sucks because on the surface level for and I'll talk about this till I'm blue in the face surface level. It seems like Michael Kelly didn't have to do this. Right. To extend them in October of 21, but it it was over a year prior that they had agreed to it. It, so, you know, keeping your work, keeping the continuity within the program is uh, in, in the department as a whole, it was important to him. And I, I completely get it because they're kind of navigating all of the same stuff. You don't want to have to be dealing with a buyout and then a coaching search within a, a pandemic. Like it's just not that's just not a fun proposition, especially when you you're strapped for cash. So I I, I, I get it. But man, it, and, and you've got like, if you've agreed to something verbal, you've got relationships with agents and right. things like that as well. Right. So you don't want, you don't want to, you know, verbally agree to something with one guy and then turn around and screw them. And then, then then maybe the next hotshot coach is represented by the same agent. They're like, no, nah, we don't need you. Got, you don't need to go there. And I'm sure that word would right. get around. So you got to conduct business in a, in a positive way. Exactly. So it's kind of a rock and a hard place um, in that respect. We'll we'll see what kind of goes on. Um, As I mentioned, four players are in the NCAA tournament from last from last year's team. So like he was able to recruit very talented players. And, you know, except I think for Xavier Castaneda, all of them would have graduated uh, except for uh, or without the the COVID transfer rule, rule. You know, Justin Brown had played four years. David Collins had played four years. Michael Durr played four years. So, like, they would have been out in the world and, and playing pro basketball this year, regardless, except they had this, you know, magical COVID year eligibility. Uh, so, Michael Durr at Indiana uh, won their first four game uh, last night, and they'll they move on uh, to the tournament where they will play St. Mary's. Um he might play at the end. Yeah, I mean, he played four minutes, got two fouls, and a and a win in the NCAA tournament. So good for him. Um, Justin Brown at UAB. He he also plays sparingly now. He was playing close to you know twenty minutes at USF. I think he's hovering around seven minutes at UAB. Very talented UAB team. They faced a very talented Houston team. Alexis Yetna at Seton Hall is a six seed, I think, and I couldn't tell you who they play. I haven't even filled out a bracket yet. I may I not even eight, do it this year. Are they an eight and they play TCU? It's a nine, I think. That's what yeah. it is. Yep. And then uh, Xavier Castaneda is the starting point guard for Akron. Uh, he was the guy I was really excited about coming back this year. And him and Caleb as a backcourt would have been fantastic. Alas, here we are. He is now uh, the starting point guard for an NCAA tournament team, and I can't, I couldn't tell you who they play. I think they're like a 13 seed, 12 yeah, seed, 12 or like 13. So good for them. Uh, it sucks that it happened this way, but here we are. And there's really not much. I didn't think we'd talk 30 minutes on uh, men's basketball, but here we go. Let's uh, let's move on to happier stuff. How about it? Women's basketball. Seventh NCAA tournament appearance in 10 years. They are the nine seed in the Columbia Regional. 
They will face the number eight seed Miami Hurricanes on Friday at 11 a.m. to basically kick off the NCAA tournament. They are the first game of the women's tournament. And God, saying that word 15 times in like the span of like three minutes really gets to you. Uh, I'm excited for this team. Uh, you know, the, the goal is to get to the second weekend of the tournament. They have not done that um, ever. Uh, it's going to be really hard to do so. But, you know, stranger things have happened. They've beaten some really good top-tier talent this year in Stanford and Oregon. Uh, they have not been the same team since they did that. But technically, it, it happened this season. Uh, Miami is very good. They made a pretty surprising run to the ACC uh, tournament finals. They were they knocked off uh, Louisville. They knocked off Notre Dame on the way there before uh, falling in that the tournament final. Uh, they were down 15 with four and a half minutes to go against Louisville and went on a 17-0 run to end the game and win the game. And uh, that's just it. Inc- that's just like you don't do that to the number four team in the country unless you're good. Like you and just don't go. Uh, one of the girls scored up like 15 of those points too. Yeah. It was one scored, person basically. It was a one person run. They scored. I think it was the last 15 points. Like you, you don't do that unless you're very, very good and very talented. It's going to be a very tough game for the bulls. Uh, Miami's defense is really good. Their offense is a little up and down just like USF, but USF has a six person bench right now. And it is scarce. Uh, they have, they, can't shoot the ball. Uh, non-conference play. They were 47th in the country uh, from three. They are now 347th in the country from three in conference play. Uh, Sydney Harvey has just absolutely cratered in conference play. She was shooting at a 42% clip in non-con, and now she's shooting 18% in conference play. It, it just completely different spectrums. Uh, Dulce uh, has been damn near unplayable over the last like four weeks. Uh, I was talking to someone, uh, you know, around the program. And if she misses her first two shots, uh, it's a wrap. She's not going to be able to play. It's just, a, it's a confidence thing with her right now. And you can't go six deep in NCAA tournament. You just, you can't, especially when you can't shoot the ball. Well, like you need to be able to do something. And without Maria Alvarez out there, it's going to be so tough for these this team to to do damage in the tournament, regardless if you had to play South Carolina in the second round, it's going to be a very tough matchup for them to to get past Miami in the first place. Would you like? A, would you guys like some stats on this game? Oh wait, oh All right. So interestingly enough, so like Nate said, the, there's like a power rankings here. Recent games, Miami's 11th in the country in recent games. USF's 41st. But when looking at the overall season stats, USF is better in most categories here. Uh, you have to factor in strength of schedule, but uh, Miami's is a little bit higher. But um, USF is 142nd in points per possession on offense. Miami is 214th. Uh, defensively, USF is 35th in opponents' points per possession, where Miami is 60th. Um, what Miami seems to do well defensively is they force turnovers or 43rd in opponent turnover percentage, where USF's 221st. So they're pretty good on defense, but they don't force a lot of turnovers, which is interesting. Um, but USF is better. Miami's 253rd in turnover percentage on offense. So maybe you'll get some there. 
they're, they seem to be really bad offensively and pretty stout defensively. And USF seems to be a little bit better in both areas, but factor in the strength of schedule. And I guess Miami's favored by one point. So, yeah, I hate this matchup. Hate it. It's like, uh, you, you like never want to play. Fight. Yeah, I, I, I hate coming into like playing a team who like was probably not going to make the tournament, made a, a drastic run, and then all of a sudden like they're in the tournament. I think those are those are the worst matchups you could possibly get. Like last year against Washington State, like you kind of had a team that was coasting throughout the entire season, and then you know did pretty all right in their tournament, kind of like what USF did, and then uh, you know you kind of bounced them in the first round like that. So I think it'll be a rock fight. I'm 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 I'd hate to say it, I'm really not confident. Um, even even with a win, I I think this team has a lot of shooting woes and shooting issues that. And unfortunately, you're losing four really high contributors uh, going into next season. So, you know, you're going to have to kind of, you know, not necessarily start from the ground because uh, you're actually getting a really, really solid recruiting class on top of a pretty good class last year. So plenty of, of players coming in. But like Nate said, I mean, you're running with like a six person bench right now. And, you know, you're going to in a normal circumstance, you probably want depth at that point. To, to keep players fresh and keep the keep hot hands on on the court as possible and you know pass the ball efficiently but you know if if they're going to run with a short bench you're this is not the team you want to play against basically it's like playing UCF again essentially agreed uh i don't know it's something something happened like i know there was a covid pause in january uh, of this year, something must must have happened. Like you can't return literally everyone and then add two top players from a conference foe and regress. Like it doesn't like it doesn't make any sense. And you know, God bless her, Ariel Wilson has been unplayable as well. Uh, it, like she she was supposed to be the, the second point guard for the Bulls and she has not developed in into that as an option whatsoever. Uh I just it's it's tough. I, I love this team. I love the, the girls on this team, but damn, like what a if you would have told me USF was a nine seed after beating Oregon and beating Stanford, I would like wow the the committee just fucked this up once again but like i think they're overseeded i i don't i don't think they're as i don't think they're what the 36th best team in the country right now isn't that i had them as a 12 seed so right like <laughs> it, it doesn't like you're so you win your conference last year and you're an eight seed you you lose and your last month and a half two months has been a rock fight to cross the finish line to win games, which you've done for the most part, but you're, you're a nine seed. So I, I mean, the, the committee's got its own issues and is it a we'll ceiling? How- is it a ceiling thing? They see that they've, they've got a high ceiling, even though their floor might be a little lower this year, their ceiling might be higher based on the earlier games, just in the committee's mind, not necessarily in reality. Yeah, yeah I, I I think you know beating Oregon and Stanford carry a lot of weight for uh, for the committee, and I, I think it was uh, 
Jamie who put it in Slack who uh, said, you know, their their tournament resume that, you know, they handed into the selection committee was just beat Stanford in 72 point font and then literally everything else in like four point font. But also uh, the the font color was white. And then so you couldn't see it against the piece of paper. They should have the committee should have highlighted it. They they really should have highlighted it. And you know, that's their fault. So that's true. That, but I mean they're I mean it's clear. And I think if you talk to anyone around the program, this is not the same team they were in December uh in the Bahamas. They not nowhere close. And I don't I don't see how things are automatically gonna change. You know, like football. You know, after that two lane game, you're just kind of who you are at this point. You're who you are. You're gonna have to grind it out. You're not gonna, you know. I think that that Houston home game was an aberration, not a, a sign of things to come. Could it be a, uh, a a factor of having too many cooks in the kitchen? Like, I mean, th- that, if you put any any of the starters on any other team, you know, they're they're clearly the best player on the team for most of the most of the way throughout the year. But it, it just seems like they just play so discombobulated at, at, at every point because they kind of expect they they expect the shots to go in every single time. Like they don't they don't necessarily like play like I, I don't know how to describe it. Like you know what I'm saying? Like it, it seems too talented for their own sake because of you know you have Dulce in the middle, you have Shea, you have you have Betty Manunga, you have Elena, you have you have all of these good like players, but no one can just kind of step up and, and be the one to, to lead the charge. Like it, it just, it seems like there's not defined role defined enough roles or sometimes it's better to have less talent, but more defined roles. It might, it feels kinda, like it. I, 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 I love the Dulce and, and aerial pickup, but and I almost feel like the team would have been better off without them going into this year. Depth wise. No, because Maria got her and, and you have other injuries to deal with, but, you know, I I kind of mentioned it like, how are you going to pull a starting lineup together when you have three really, really good post players like that and four really, really good shooters? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I think toward the end of the year, I think you kind of saw the hierarchy. It was Elena and then it was Elisa and then Betty was like third and then everybody else was kind of. Like it was those three and then kind of everyone else in different tiers. You know, Sydney would have the game that she would pop off. Uh, you know, Shea had 10 points in the conference final, but you're not relying on Shea Leverett to score 10 points every single game because, it, it, frankly, if you do, you, you're not going to win a lot of games. She's a she's a defensive anchor. That's what she's there for. That's what she's very good at. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't I don't know. I, I can't wait till after the season and they can assess and we kind of figure out, I mean, what the hell happened? Cause I, I'm sure, I'm sure they know, but they're not gonna, they're like, Oh yeah, we are just an absolute mess all season. Like, it just never got better. Like they're not going to self-admit that right now when there's still games to be played. It's going to be a, you know, retrospective kind of, okay, this is what went sideways after the Bahamas. We need to have a a, a a night at the patio with Jose. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe we'll have to do that. I think the, I think the bright side is that uh, that girl that I got that's coming over from Sweden is going to be fucking phenomenal next year. But 
I hope so. And they've got some talent on the bench that is just not, you know, the not ready for primetime players. Um, so we'll see if they, if they continue to, to develop. So we'll, uh, we'll see in that. Um, but again, 1130 Friday, ESPN two. 11.30 a.m. 11.30 a.m. On Friday. A little lunch break game. ESPN 2 against the Miami Hurricanes. Winner gets South Carolina. <laughs> Unless they get upset. Good luck with that. And South Carolina was the top overall seed uh, this season. I think they went wire to wire as a the number one team in the country. Yeah, they had that one girl that's put up like 40 double-doubles or something like that in a row or something, so that would be great. Hmm. Scott, let me tell you, it is weird being a USF and complaining about being in the tournament. I completely understand it, and that's what Jose has done to us. We're, we are spoiled when it comes to women's basketball. We have this one thing, and we are going to hammer on it. Um. Can we work up to like the best news? Because I I have something. Well, two things: the USF Madness tournament uh, oh, got posted. So once again, I'm unaffiliated from the Daily Stampede. Solo Dolo. Um, and uh, our first round matchup because it's so flow. Oh, we're gonna kick their ass. Um, track and field. You you want to jump that? Okay, go ahead. You know what? Go go ahead, man. We're we're working to the top of, of the show, uh, the the crew de gras. Um, sure. Romaine Beckford, second team All American in high jump. We have back to back years of having track All Americans. Let's just. I, I couldn't tell you when the last time we we had All Americans in in this in this running and jumping and throwing and. And, and handing things sport. You know, I, it, it's been a while. Um, we'll continue to give Eric Jenkins the kudos that that man deserves and his staff and what he's put together. His next, I mean, putting together these solid All-Americans and, he, and he's finding them from just all realms of the earth. Uh, Romain Beckford uh, came over from JUCO. I think he was uh, Oklahoma weird community college of Central Tornado Alley or something like that. But Finding these guys, getting them and, and coaching them up, you know, it, it's 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 admirable. And I think his next major project right now is please somehow fix cross country. I don't know what to do to fix cross country, but I, I thought uh, suck less. I think suck less, run faster, be better, longer strides, short whatever needs to be. Uh, we need to find a way to fix cross country because that's a sport that just again to this day surprises me that like we can't just pull some kids from like. Jesuit from well, not from Jesuit, but like from Tempe Tech or something like that can run fast and just put them out there on the course. But yep, that's my uh, that's my track and field uh, spiel. Wanted to get that out there. It's important. I I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Steve. Let's move on. Uh, Did you give Steve a track and field minute? (laughs) (laughs) This just in. Uh, Let's move on to baseball, where. Midweek games continue to be fun uh, if you're a batter and uh, horrendous if you're a pitcher or play defense. Uh, the Bulls beat FIU down in Miami uh, yesterday, 14 to uh, on Tuesday, I should say, 14 to nine. Um, 
it was horrendously pitched and played for the most part. I believe baseball had three errors again last night or on Tuesday, I should say Tuesday. Uh, they have not been great defensively this year. Their base running has been subpar, suboptimal for large chunks of the season so far already. Um, it just it continues to happen. Uh, they've given up. Let me let me just double check. Uh, 26, 35. Uh, They've given up 35 runs in their last three midweek games, which typically just bad pitching. It's where you're trying to figure out, you know, who may be your Sunday starter later in the season or just try to keep bodies fresh and have a bullpen day here or there. But it's been it's been not fun for for large swaths of the season so far, but they continue to win because their offense is very, very good still. Um, and that's that's the upside. That's the upshot. The offense is still good. Drew Brusher has been has been and continues to be fantastic. Uh, Carmine Lane hit a walk off on Sunday after uh, another adventure at third base. He's been the one that doesn't quite make sense, uh, if I'm being perfectly frank, because he had six errors all of last season. And 61 games. And he has five through 17. And on Sunday, he straight up just tripped over his feet and fell down. And it scored a run. Luckily, he got it back. And I think he I think he drove in a run in the eighth and then hit the the game winner uh, in the ninth, at the bottom of the ninth. Uh, and tripped again. Yeah. The, <laughs> the Bulls left the bases loaded twice in the seventh and eighth inning. Luckily, they were able to tag on three runs in the eighth before leaving them loaded to tie the game in the eighth. Uh, so some, some timely hitting has not been great. Uh, they have 25 errors so far, but they're hitting 284 with an on-base percentage of 411 and a slugging percentage of 468. Like that's just, that's going to keep you in games for the most part when you do that for an entire season. Uh, Drew Brescher has six homers, 16, uh, 19 RBIs. Carmine has five homers, 23 RBIs. Uh, ben Rosenblum, the, the FIU transfer, has a homer and 12 RBIs. Uh, Roberto Pena, who missed time uh, not playing, uh, he has three homers, six RBIs in eight games. Um, Jackson Mayo, who's been uh, just a, a fantastic addition to the outfield in the batting order, he's hitting 355 with two homers, five RBIs. Uh, great eye for the ball, only six strikeouts, four walks, and he was named AAC Player of the Week uh, this past week for his efforts. Uh, him, Marcus Brodel, uh, Keanu Jacobs, Gushar, those are the people that we wanted to see play, and, and we're seeing it. Um, Nick Gonzalez has been um, an adventure at shortstop, uh, to say the least. Uh, Matt Ruiz played short on Tuesday night and uh, had a wasn't quite an error, but it should have been. They had the infield in uh, to protect the run. He got the ball through to first instead of going home runs, (laughs) whatever, Uh, you know, just some, some brain farts. It happens. Uh, Yes, we did get an answer 
to why the players weren't playing. And um, uh, I just love I'm, Jackson I'm not, Mayo. I'm not telling. I, I'm not telling you guys. Uh, Jackson I'll, Mayo. I'll be straight up with you. I'm not telling anyone. Can we talk about Jackson Mayo having the best name in like USF baseball history? Just. I mean, there's there's some, been some pretty good ones um, in the past. I love I mean, a Ryan Kirkering. I mean, that's I, just like Jackson Mayo is not even the best name on the team. So like Mayo, but it's it's just fantastic. Orion Kirkering. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? I think it was. Uh, I don't remember which team or who we played last year. Where I was watching a game and they were trying to pronounce his name. And, and the the, annou- the poor announcer. I think it was actually the Texas Tech series. Poor announcer just could not pronounce. It was. He was like he kept on pronouncing it kicking. <laughs> okay, uh, Stieg, uh, why are you making fun of the middle school? Right. They're trying their best. They are. They are. Words are hard to pronounce. Okay. Be Letters, nice. Difficult. Be nice, man. I'm sorry. It's just. Uh, but, but what's allowed Orion to excel and be a, become the starter this season is the emergence of Hunter Mink, who has now become the closer. He's the UF transfer. His brother Tanner, uh, his twin brother Tanner, was on the team la- was on the Bulls last year. Obviously, if you can't beat him, join him. So that's what Hunter decided to do, and he's been uh, he's been great through ten innings, eighteen strikeouts, three walks, five saves, uh, with a zero point zero zero ERA. Uh, he's been. He's been hovering around 92, 93. Uh, I've heard, you know, he wouldn't be surprised if he's touching 95 by the end of the year. Um, the kid's nasty, and he's the reason why Kirk can start and be, you know, de facto Friday starter on Saturday or Sunday. Like it, it's been fantastic. Uh, Jack Jaciak uh, missed his last turn in the rotation due to general body soreness uh you know they're four weeks into the year head coach billy mole doesn't want to tempt fate with the best pitcher on staff but through three starts a one four two era 24 strikeouts and 19 innings two walks kids been lights out so wait what was his era 1.42 1.42 that's 23 times higher than uh georgina clark's era (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll get I to that. It to be a segue, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, we'll, we'll get, I mean, damn. Uh, so USF is uh, quickly they're eleven and six. Uh, they head into a weekend series uh, versus Mercer, who is freaking good. They're uh, last I checked, they were fifteen and one. They've beaten Florida State and Georgia Tech already. I think they've won eight straight. I haven't checked to see if they played a, a midweek game, but they played Georgia Southern. Let me check real quick for you. They they're pretty freaking good. Um, so good for good for them. Mercer Bears, great pharmacy school. I've heard. We're getting live updates on Mercer. small small D one schools in Georgia. As we do that, uh, let's slowly segue into softball. You guys want to do that? Uh, Georgia Southern what? is winning eight to three in the bottom of the eighth. Oof. Oof. Tough stuff. Tough, tough stuff. They're going to be out for revenge. Yep. Yep. They're going to be looking to start another winning streak. Uh, Speaking of uh, starting another winning streak, uh, 
USF softball beat Niagara seven to one on Wednesday behind Aaron Puppings five inning start. She did very good. Uh, unfortunate giving up the the one run and I think it was in the, the top of the fifth. Uh, you know, because in softball you have the walk off rule uh up eight after five. Game over. Uh Vivian Pond on Sunday was able to do that. Uh she she helped her 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 pitchers out and uh smacked the solo shot uh in the eighth inning uh versus UMass to end it in five. Uh double header. Uh, they lose to Ohio State on Sunday, uh, losing five nothing. But I mean, the story uh, of all stories is once again Georgina Korik being uh, unhittable. It, that's really what it boils down to. And she's worked around error. She's done literally everything that this team has asked of her uh, so far this season, and it showed. And she's getting national attention now, which. Uh, Thank God, you know, Cespedes uh, Family Barbecue is, uh, you know, updating everybody uh, each week about what she's doing. And it it doesn't make sense what she's doing. And let's let's pull up her her stats real quick, shall we? Because they're stupid. She has a zero point zero six ERA. Her whip. Is zero point three eight. She's 17 and 0. She has 12 complete games. Oh, she has a save. She's thrown 111 innings. She has 169 strikeouts to seven walks. Uh, her batting average against is 0.094. And oh, BT dub, she hasn't allowed an earned run in over 82 innings. That's pretty good. All right. right. I'm gonna ask my I'm gonna ask my question again. All right, so last week I asked you uh, if she was coming up on the greatest career in USF history in all sports. You said you weren't sure, you didn't think so, and then we kind of talked about what does she have to do to get there. Any changes? It's been, I think, two weeks since then, and a lot of uh, strikeouts and not a lot of runs. So what are you thinking now about her place in history? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how she's doing this. Like, regardless. And she is the nicest person in the world, which just makes it even better. Like, I have not heard a single bad thing about Cork literally ever in the five years that I've, I've covered USF that while she's been here, it doesn't make any sense. Like, you'll get like star players who, you know, they'll tell you, man, he's got an attitude problem. She's kind of rude. Literally nothing about George. Not a single the day, thing. The day that she threw that perfect game, uh, she was retweeting Arkansas's pitcher who threw a perfect game instead. Like none of her own accolades or anything. Like she'll obviously like retweet like a few accolades that she makes because like that Cespedes family barbecue and, and you know, those, those uh, D1 softball uh, and analysts and everything like that. She'll retweet those. Um, but I mean, she's humble as all hell. And, and I think the times put out a, a, a pretty good article about her. Um, I think that the title of it was like, by the time that you finish reading a sentence, uh, Georgina Corrick struck out the side again. Like, well, and, and the, the title of the, the article was by the time you read this, a USF pitcher has struck out the side. Right. 
gotta, gotta know, make sure people click on it first. Yeah. Well, you know, we did it with the March Madness edition. I, I under, I completely understand the SEO of it all, but sure. Yeah, but I, her her method to preparing because it's not like it's not like she hasn't done this against top competition. Like she's she was doing this up against Oklahoma State. The only team that has scored an earned run against her was a home run. Um, like her, her, how methodical she is in preparing for these games. And like, she keeps a running tally in her head of like, all right, you know, the last couple, like the last at bat, like I, I threw two rise balls, uh, top left corner, and then a, a curve to the top right or something like that. She keeps all of that in her head so that she knows what, when the batter's coming up to the next one that, all right, so they might be looking for this. So here's how I'm going to count it. It's, it's like the greatest fucking chess player of all time, just being always a couple steps ahead of, of the, the opposing batters. And like, yeah, perfect game against Florida A&M and, and five innings. Like, you know, I, I saw someone say something on Twitter, some dude that's like probably deep into baseball or something like, oh, she only had to pitch five innings. It's like, yeah, but to, to do this in itself is, is a feat that she's been consistently keeping opponents scoreless off base and for like innings at a time for like 80 something innings, like no one was reaching base. Like this is, it's, it's unheard of, especially for, for a school, you know, who, who typically gets the misfortune of it all. But like for USF to have Sarah Nevins, who is just one of the best college softball pitches of all time. And then Georgie to is surpassing all of that. It's just, it's, it's insane to watch. It's so, this is so great. Yeah. Like, like I get like football sucks, men's basketball is terrible, but like the other sports at USF are like kind of just firing on all cylinders. And I, I get that, you know, softball is not really the moneymaker. I get that men's golf is not the moneymaker. Men's tennis is not the moneymaker, but these are all sports that people should care about. Should, I, I, I emphasize should, but I, I get it. For a little context, Oral Hershiser's scoreless inning streak was 59 consecutive scoreless innings. And that was quite a feat. So what was what she at? 82, you said? Yeah, she's like, a little over 82. I think she's like yeah. 82.1. And then five-time pitcher of the week, the most in like five times in a row. Uh, she's not going to make it one time because she's going to pitch like one game or something like that. And, and Wichita State's pitcher is probably going to like, you know, have like a good weekend or something like that but like if if they needed to they she could win the pitcher of the week award for the entire season like she's already the pitcher of the year in the conference there's no one even close to her standard and we're not even a conference play yet yeah I, i'm i'm excited to see what she does and the the pretty cool thing about it i mean we've we've discussed it they need to find a second pitcher. They still need to find a second pitcher, but Aaron Popping's done a pretty damn good job over the last week or so, kind of riding the ship after a rough start to the year. Uh, I was talking to some USF folks uh, on Sunday. Like, yeah, I mean, they can't, they would love to ride Georgina's, you know, arm into the ground uh, to a, a women's college world series, but you need the second pitcher regardless. And they've got to, they've got to find that uh, here soon. Um, but Aaron's she's she's settling down a little bit. We'll see. But right now, this is one of the greatest seasons I've ever seen in any sport at USF in my entire life. Like 
like Quinn Flowers and Marlon Max 2016 season was great, but like this is otherworldly. This is going up there like with the ends 2017 season. Well, this is like this is like National Player of the Year type stuff. Yeah, I mean she she is ranked as the best pitcher in college softball right now. Like she is the yeah. number one pitcher yeah. in college softball. Yeah, it'd like, basically be like if trophy. it'd basically be like if Quentin Flowers' 2016 Memphis game just happened every single week. Yes, like that's that's basically it. Or you take the the 2017 Central Florida game stats, but include uh, the 20 for 24 that he had at Memphis. Like you got to combine like two different games to get what Georgina Cork is doing to even get close to any other person. Like there's not been a basketball player that's done this. I mean, Kit Kit Lassa has she's gone off for like 40, 50 points, but not this consistently, not this often. Um, the only other athlete that's unreal. even close in my mind would be like Albin right now, but Albin's also like that. It, like it's it's hard to compare what Albin's doing because Albin's I think number five this week in the most recent golf rankings, or maybe he's still number six. But like, I mean, you have two top ten athletes at the top of their sport. Yeah, you know, obviously one's team, one's individual, but like, but it would also be like Albin winning every single tournament by ten it, plus yeah. strokes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> It doesn't make any, it doesn't, what she's doing doesn't make any sense. And if you guys have a chance to go out to the USF softball complex this weekend or any, at any point you're, you're watching history every single time she pitches. Like, like what she's doing will not be done again at USF probably ever. It's unfortunate because she broke most of the records early. So like, (laughs) <laughs> there's not many other records she can break right now. The only other records that she could catch, and it's tough. I think Sarah Nevins has four perfect games. And that's like, that's, uh, I think, and I think one of them's a combined perfect game. But that's about it. She'll, she, I think she will or has already smashed most of Sarah's. Uh, counting numbers, stats. Um, we'll see how we'll see how far above what she would have done without the 2020 COVID numbers. Because I mean, let's fa- let's call it spade a spade. I mean, these numbers are a, a little skewed because she got 18 more appearances. That's 18 games more worth of strikeout. So she's got to kind of exceed that number to for it to like truly count because technically she shouldn't be playing softball this year. Oh, this is fun. Actually. I just, I Googled Georgina Corrick, uh, MLB.com. Can anyone hit Georgina Corrick? Front page? No, no, the it's, answer is no. The, st- the stats bear it out. Yeah. Here's uh here's a good quote. If you thought what Jacob deGrom was doing before he got hurt last year, a special Corrick has him beat. That's high praise from MLB.com. It's, if I've ever heard these these damn bat sports. All right. Let me okay. Hold on. I'm gonna do something for you real quick. 13, 20. Okay, she's also uh like uh I just pointed this out. Uh, she was a marine biology major. She's getting her master's degree in like environmental sustainability. So like can we just like stand like rename the daily stampede to like the Georgina Coric stampede? Like 
woman is just throwing un- unhittable softballs while also trying to save the world from climate change. And she's British. Uh, well, I, I don't hold that. Uh, like I, I set that aside. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's, it's the one negative thing about her. Yeah. As an Irishman, I can like, and yeah. not, I like, I'm a Manchester United fan. So I, I get, I've got my own issues with rooting for an English team, but that's just the cross I have to bear. But also, you know, rooting for a Brit is also very, very difficult. Uh, and uh, in some places where I grew up would get you shot. So I, it's tough, but I love her and what she stands for. I've got a question for you guys. How many hits do you think Georgina Cork has allowed in her last 31 innings? Four. Three. Is it two? Seth, what's your guess? I guess three. Was that incorrect? Do I have another guess? Oh, sorry. I didn't hear you. Uh, the answer is four. Oh, Steve nailed it. Taking that to the grave. That's ridiculous. It's pretty good. And that's a span of six games. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that's uh, That's ridiculous. That's that's such a that's stupid. I mean, I I don't want to take all the credit for it, but I think you know the Blue Marley podcast bump from a couple weeks ago. I mean, didn't hurt. That's probably it, right? It didn't hurt uh, since that podcast. But what did we? That was on the first, I think, the, two weeks ago, right? Um. So since then, she had an 11 inning complete game where she struck out 19. Mm-hmm. Um, she had the uh, she had the perfect game. So yeah, I You're fully welcome. believe this is this is the Daily Stampede bump. You are welcome, George. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I mean, prior to that, she did not have a 19 strikeout game. She did not have a perfect game this season. But since Facts are facts, folks. All right. So I, I've got a question for Seth and Stieg about the show. We are an hour and seven minutes in. We have not even talked about football. What do you want to do? We can do. Um, I don't know. There's a ton to talk about, so we can get through it quick. I'm sure. Yeah, let's let's. I'm let's sure. It. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I, you know what? I know some some of you guys are just here for the ride. We said we wouldn't go past. I think it was ten. Whoops. My wife's out of town. I have, there's no kids in the house. I've got, I have no responsibilities right now. So here we are. <laughs> hey, there you go. All right. Thing. So football, let's, let's jump into it. it I'm going to set a timer. And once the timer goes out, we're done. That's it. So all right. Let me do what's, this. What's the timer going to be set at? Eight is eight minutes fair. I don't even know what we're talking about. But so yeah, I mean, it's eight minutes is fair. Well, yeah, we can do right. it. Yeah, let's do it. All right, timer started. So uh we two weeks ago, Seth and I were fresh off the, the coaching clinic. We discussed where Willie Taggart thought the football stadium should go, and we kind of teased, intimated that maybe Jeff Scott also had the same uh idea. And then I believe on March 7th, 6th, 
that much came to fruition at the board of trustees meeting where they decided let's put the stadium exactly where it should go. Uh, the Sycamore fields where basically it all started. It's really the only logical place to put said football stadium, keep it in the heart of the athletics district. No other option really made sense. General thoughts as we move closer, closer in air quotes, to an on-campus football stadium for the South Florida Bulls. I was a big fan of the seeing kind of how it's going to be like one large football complex almost. It's kind of interconnected with the indoor, connecting to the operations building, connecting to the stadium. So you really have like its own football will have like its own little campus, which I think will help in recruiting. And it'll just be, um, I'm sure it'll be really nice for the coaches as well, just to kind of have everything in one spot. So, um, so when I saw that, I thought that would look really cool. Everything's kind of connected. Everything's in this little space. You don't have to go from here to there and move different buildings. Everything's kind of contained. So that'll be pretty cool. I also, I think I read that they talked about that site was interesting because you could build down into it. So you could kind of, you know, have the stadium built into it a little bit. So you can kind of have that kind of like it is in uh, at Florida where you come in like, midway up the stadium and, and go down into the bowl a little bit, which will help with sound and all that kind of stuff too. So that was, that was interesting to see that they, they thought about that too. So I thought a uh, interesting site, especially without connects with everything else already, they are already being built. So. Yep. Fantastic. That's all it is. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mentioned uh, prior, I think it was prior to F, the FAMU game this past season. Um, I had heard they wanted butts and seats by 2026. That seems to be the, the, the same timeline. The aggressive one is 2026. The more conservative, um, I would say realistic is 2027. Um, still no idea where they're getting this money from, but Hey, the Morsani family committed $5 million to it. So that's like a, a, Three percent of the cost, I guess. That's a section I, of the stadium. Yeah, that's that's like bathrooms and toilets and and water fountains. I would assume that's probably what five million dollars gets you in a stadium, right? Like you, like the plumbing and all of that. I don't know. Probably, I, I would say you definitely get plumbing with that. You maybe maybe fill out half the half the bathrooms. You might have to use like a trough though. I I was never a fan of troughs. I get uh, I, went I get to, stage fright. I went to Auburn. I went to a game in Auburn back in the day. They didn't have doors on the stalls. They had a trough, and they didn't have doors on the stalls. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> it was brutal. I can't. You need like a you need um, like a partner to stand in front of you. It was rough. Yeah, that's not. That was a while back, though, so hopefully that's changed for Auburn people because that's bizarre. Yeah. But, I mean, they're used to, like, outhouses and stuff, so it, it makes a little bit more sense. Maybe. Maybe. Um, yeah, so, again, you know, fantastic spot for the stadium. You know, the the Mosey, comp, the Mosey idea didn't make sense because you, you're still waiting for Mosey to finally uh, collapse in on itself. Air or move whatever comes first. I drive by that that poor thing every single day. It is the saddest looking building in Tampa. It is 
it's massive and they use i think like a third of it they had to move the recycle the recyclosaurus to where like it actually is now and it is the saddest thing in the world i feel terrible because uh, i love i love mosey i love going to mosey it was so much fun but times are times are changing and it is bleak over there they need to get a recyclops statue out there instead yeah i hope we could take that and and, and repurpose it to for the stadium like make a bowl out of it or, or like like keep keep the spirit of the recyclosaurus alive so are, are we hearing anything on spring on spring practice i've seen videos and snippets but what have are we hearing anything juicy uh here here's what i'm hearing from spring practice uh this team is closer than ever uh the guys really care um they're they're buying they're buying into it they're they're showing a lot more toughness and togetherness. This is the closest team that uh, any coach has ever been a part of ever in the history of mankind. Um, yeah, they're bigger, I mean, they're faster, they're stronger. They they great. care. They're great off. They're sh- great. They really put the work in this winter. Uh, the newcomers are being embraced. They are. They're lighting it up. The newcomers are just fitting in. Uh, seamless transition for the the newcomers, which is always great. It's what you want. It's what you want to hope for. Uh, you know, these guys really love each other. They care about the guy standing next to them. They care about this team. So no, we haven't heard anything. No, okay. They're going to give no. us coach speak the entire way through. You know that Seth. Don't even try to. I'm all The only thing. The only like Colonel. We've got a minute and thirty seven seconds, so we have that long to talk about it. Um, uh, was in the the news and notes um, story that they posted on on the website. Uh, I think it was on Wednesday uh, that if you ask the USF players, they would assume Timmy McLean is the starting quarterback. But Travis Marsh and Byron Brown are turning heads. That's well, that's a quote. That's a quote from Jeff Scott. Somebody was dropping some uh, absolute dimes in the uh, the video they put out this tonight on with the receivers. There's some really good throws being laid yeah. in there because the coverage was pretty good. Uh, but you know, well, the coverage good. was good in all of them except for Jimmy Horns, which I mean, Jimmy Horn left that guy, left whoever that I think that was Vincent Davis in like 2003, and that <laughs> he just blew past him. He needs a time machine to cover him. He's seriously, like that was. I mean, dude's the fastest fucking guy I've ever seen in green and gold. It's absolutely he's ridiculous. Exception, he's exceptionally smooth too. He's. He could play. I, I said he could play just about anywhere. He's really, really good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah and, and the only other thing is, um, to, to Nate's point, I know we're probably going to run out of time here, but the uh, when Shoup kind of emphasized that they're looking for depth along the defensive line, I think that was... They're still looking for people in the portal right now. I, they've sent out offers to defensive linemen. Um, they're definitely going four down, uh, which is a great thing to hear. Uh, but right now, I don't think they have the bodies to play four down. I think they need like one to two more defensive ends and then maybe a defensive tackle again if, if you really just want to move some guys around. And we're out of time. Good night. Well, Jam Pack Show, thank you guys for listening to another edition of the Bluminati Podcast, proudly sponsored by Homefield Apparel. Again, 50% off your total purchase site wide for first time buyers with the code. Daily Stam 
Peed for Nathan, Seth, and Steve. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Have fun. Be safe. Friday, 11.30 a.m., ESPN2, USF, first Miami, first round of the NCAA tournament. Let's go. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. The players really seem to like Shoop. I have to get that in there before we get out. I don't care about the timer.